Hey Allie, remember when you begrudgingly stayed with your old EHR way too long because the thought of switching was overwhelming? Uh, yep, I do. I stayed with my old EHR for years, even though I really was not happy with it. That is, until Catherine convinced me to switch to Jane. Jane's import team, yep, you heard that correctly. They have an entire team dedicated to importing your clients, and they handle all of the nitty-gritty details that have been holding you back from leaving your old EHR. Imagine this, you're sitting down with your cup of coffee and just two clicks later, Jane has what they need to personally upload all of your clients so that the next time you log in, every single client, progress note, and more from your old, outdated EHR is in there. And it's just as easy for clients when you switch. They click a link, verify all of the information that's already there is correct, and that's it. The team at Jane knows that your time is valuable even after you make the switch and they import your clients for you. So they've created online intake forms to also help you spend less time on paperwork and more time with your clients and in your life. To streamline your intake process for new clients, Jane makes it easy to automatically email intake forms at the time of booking. You can gather client data, consents, insurance information, and payment details all before your clients even walk through your door or log in to your telehealth platform. Head over to jane.app and make sure to use the code BADTHERAPIST so Jane knows that we sent you when you switch and you'll get a 30-day grace period on your new account. And that's code BADTHERAPIST at jane.app to ditch your outdated EHR and join us in our love for Jane. Have you ever asked yourself, am I a bad therapist? Well, you're in the right place. I'm Allie Joy, licensed professional counselor and board-certified art therapist. And I'm Katherine Escare, a clinical psychologist, and this is Am I a Bad Therapist? Join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door. You'll hear experiences that made us ask, am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern-day therapists. This is a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in similar chairs. While we're certainly not promoting actual bad therapy, we are here to shine a light on the messy situations that therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. Allie, you and I both know that therapy is not a linear process, nor is it uh, always upward movement. We have to take so many twists and turns in therapy, even in straightforward therapy cases. Um, we twist and turn and go through mazes together with our clients. But sometimes it happens because we miss something really big. Has that ever happened to you? It has. It has. And I feel like it can be a difficult moment where we just are like, oh my gosh, how did I miss this? It feels so obvious once you finally do. And I feel like it's, we can internalize some of that of like, again, like, how did I miss that? How did, you know, how did I not see this? All of these thoughts come up. And we're going to hear from Michelle today who really shares about that process of how we can miss something and then we can shift directions and it can lead to incredible breakthroughs, not only for our clients, but for ourselves in our career, like professionally, it really, this, you know, topic was pivotal in Michelle's career. And just a reminder that this is not a substitute for clinical consultation, ethical guidance, or therapy itself. And also we don't actually endorse bad therapy. All right. Well, this is episode number 78 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it.
Hi, Michelle. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Allie. Well, before we get into your bad therapist story, Michelle, why don't you tell us and our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. I would love to. Uh, My name is Michelle Cleary. I am a licensed clinical social worker. I have a private practice in Brooklyn, New York. I'm hybrid at the moment, some in-person and some Zoom. I am also a somatic experiencing practitioner. So I went through the somatic experiencing training, uh, got my certificate, and then began assisting. So I support faculty teaching all of the new students coming in for SE. And I focus primarily on treating folks who have complex PTSD, developmental trauma, and I also have a a very strong focus in eating disorders, but specifically people who struggle with binge eating disorder. That's my focus. As a result of all of that professional training, personal experiences, I have recently launched an initiative called Find the Shift, which is an online community, an educational-based community. Uh, nervous system navigation, guiding you to embodied eating. And it's a space where people can go who struggle with binge eating disorder or binge eating or overeating. And they can, through co-regulation and education, learn how to navigate their nervous system and change their, hopefully, their perception of these really tough behaviors as being adaptations of nervous system stuff. And it's new but I love it. So that's me. Somatic experiencing, private practice, find the shift, great family, Brooklyn. That's amazing. (laughs) All that. Yeah. Well, do you want to tell us about maybe not how you're a good therapist in all the, all those ways, but tell us about maybe where you thought you were a bad therapist, Michelle. I will. I will. My nervous system is telling me I'm nervous. So I'm going to drink some water. (laughs) It's hard to uh, put forward your moments that are complex. So, but my bad therapist moment feels almost like a marble in a bag of marbles. And I'm kind of pulling out the marble that was a big transitional time for me that actually did support me in moving into somatic experiencing training. It took many years, but it was the beginning experience. So we're going back about 10 years. I'd opened a private practice. I was very anxious and nervous, and I was still a relatively new therapist. Um, And I got a client. I was so excited. And this person uh, was really impressive. They were really impressive people. They were wonderful and wonderful to be in their presence. And I was, uh, I very much enjoyed working with them. They were likable. They were a great client, interested in doing the work, eager, and they were really likable. And I liked them as people. And so we were working well together, six months, regular, not late on time and eager. And so, and I remembered feeling calm with this new private practice and feeling as if I felt validated, but I never fully formulated that thought. I didn't pay enough attention to it. So six months or so had gone on and quite randomly, I was having a conversation with a colleague of mine who was trained in Gestalt. Mm -hmm. 
and they are just still to this day one of my favorite people. And he was just talking to me about one of his clients, and there was something about the way he spoke about his experience and his his experience in the therapeutic clinical dynamic. This awareness of the intersubjectivity between he and his client that triggered a head nod in me. And even though it sounds so 101 and, you know, I was trained in psychodynamic work and CBT, heavy thinking, behavioral information-based training, but there was something in what he was saying that felt unfamiliar to me. And, but I didn't know what was happening. So I went about my business later on that week, this particular client came in and we were working together, positive reports. They're doing great. I'm feeling like if they're doing great, then I'm doing great. (laughs) And something clicked when I remembered the story my colleague had talked to me about. And I was like, wait a second, hold on a minute they're not okay. They're not okay. And so it just kind of started to deepen this awareness, this almost like I could just suddenly, and and I say that just suddenly as if it wasn't glitchy and complicated and overwhelming and all the stuff happening on the inside. And I noticed they're not okay. And I don't think they've been okay for at least three weeks or so. But they were trying to do good in therapy. Mm. So they were not able to express their not okayness. And I wasn't catching it because I was navigating my insecurities or my good feelings that were making me feel right and good. And I was a good therapist and I was value. I was of value. I was, you know, being right and having this belief that we, the therapists are doing the fixing, you know, we have to say the right thing and be some, you know, again, it puts the focus on us as if we have to do something. And, and so there was this really this interesting, you know, colluding that we were both doing with one another. And in that session, I was able to, and at that time, I couldn't do it the way I can do it now. I dropped into my body to the best of my ability to in that moment, and tried to lean back and create space more for her. And the next session, uh, when we began, I inquired about that for her. I said, what was, you know, what was that, what was last session like for you? And, and they were able to report that it felt different, which ended up turning into a great moment. In the end, it turned into, for this particular experience, it turned into a, a great opportunity for us both to explore what had happened. And we began to do, we, we were able then to get in, to get into the deeper 
work where she recognized her positive posturing and her need or struggle rather with expressing what was not well with her painfully (laughs) or challengingly two more sessions or so after that I mean amazingly painfully and challengingly she was able to really express her anger at me oh wow can you tell us more about that yeah um it was so good and for for me my learning my earlier on self I mean still to this day like we I mean by no means do I not make mistakes all the time. But when she came in and expressed anger, it was good, but it, obviously it was very good clinically. It was very good for the, for the repair. It was very good for the experience. And they were, she was able to say that once it was brought to her attention and once she noticed that she was doing it and I was able to take a level of ownership of that without having gone into details about my stuff and why that was happening for me, but naming that it happened. She had a good solid session of like asking me a lot of questions and well then why am I here and what is therapy for? And a lot of exploration, not only about the therapeutic process, but relationships and friendships and who is she in these relationships, but it was an interesting process and it lasted probably, I'm not getting this completely right, but it was a number of sessions of a lot of questioning and orienting. And at the time I didn't realize that she was reorienting to this awareness. And yeah, that's the crux of this feeling of being such a bad therapist in that moment And it was just such an interesting series of events where had I not had that conversation with this colleague who is so, you know, again, we need to talk to each other. (laughs) We need, therapists need to talk to each other and pull ourselves out of these various subjectivities that we don't even know we're in. And then when he said these things and I noticed this unfamiliarity in what he was saying and then she came in and I noticed that there was this thing. So that's my bad therapist moment. And like I, and I believe that there were, there were, I not believe there were probably, there were many times when levels of that were happening where being right, being good, you know, we all become clinicians for a reason and normally for often frequently (laughs) for some reason or the other, we've became the fixers, the pleasers, the, the ones who empathize and see everybody else's things. And that, you know, creates this sense of ourselves, our own value. So being the fixer and being the one that is always right and not having a lot of experience being wrong, because being wrong, what does that mean then? Does that mean we don't have value anymore? And then that whole thing happens. But what it also does is it, and I learned this through somatic experiencing. So my private practice, the early years was me from, you know, doing good, not, you know, doing good, but so much to learn. And then that's how I ended up feeling this feeling of there has to be more, there has to be more. And this colleague did gestalt. And, and that's when I moved toward the experiential based modalities, the somatic experiencing, the EMDR, 
And I was able to then recognize that, oh, this isn't about you fixing anybody. This is about you sitting back and letting their capacity to heal come through. And, and that is just such a hard transition to make. This feels like a really great place to pause for an ad break. By the way, the number one support for those of us asking ourselves, am I a bad therapist? Are clinical consultation groups. If you don't have one yet, join us on the Teletherapist Network for unlimited peer consultation groups, including a lot of different specialty groups like clinicians of color, LGBTQ+, couples counseling, EMDR. And of course, Creativity in the Clinical Room hosted by me, Allie. Plus masterclasses, media leads, and everything else you need for an ethical, modern clinical practice. Join us at teletherapistnetwork.com. Hey, listeners. It's Catherine here, and I'm coming to you today because Allie's not the best at bragging on herself, and I want to remind you all that she has an incredible resource available for free at our website, cccs.care. Allie's Creative Intervention Library is full of easy interventions that even non-art therapist clinicians like me can use with clients of all ages. Every intervention has a list of materials, an entire process video where you watch Allie doing it, and a written description and steps so you can follow along at home. Plus, she even has a list of diagnoses that might find this creative intervention helpful. So if you want to access a totally free library of interventions for when you feel stuck with clients, check out Allie's website, cccs.care and sign up for free today. And now let's circle back to the show. What I hear you really reflecting on is moving away from, and I I can relate to this in my own career, moving away from the tools Mm -hmm. and onto the process of therapy, right? Education, training, we are taught and and learn tools that we need, but really that understanding and feeling that process of healing, um, I feel like that comes from experience um, and pieces of it obviously can be taught, but what you're speaking of is, is really this, the shift in, in your therapeutic approach. Is that, is that what it felt like? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It, a real trigger into a complete changing of my therapeutic approach and a really strong sense of what what is the process? So mm-hmm. I'm just repeating what you just said, but yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I have a couple questions about sure. the story. So so many things come up that I'm dying to ask about, but one that sticks out to me is you said that when the client was able to open up and share their anger with you, I heard you saying like reflecting, like you knew it was good, right? Like you knew this was good for the process, you know, it led mm-hmm. to good rapport building, all the things. But what did you feel in that moment? Mm-hmm. Like in that moment mm-hmm. when the client was being angry with you, what did you feel? All the things I was most fearful of feeling and trying to run away from my whole life. <laughs> I'm bad. I'm not good enough. Uh, I hurt. I did harm. I'm selfish. I'm narcissistic. I'm, I mean, so many versions of that uh small desires to defend myself 
make it right, explain it. Again, uh, leave the client's experience and try to explain my experience. So all of that was bubbling underneath it for those couple of sessions. And then sitting back, being with, not fix, being with, not fix. So that was a lot just... And build and in that process, I know this now, I didn't know that then, but building my own capacity for I mean a lot of things, but building my own capacity for being wrong. And and that, that sounds I don't I mean that might sound I don't know how that will sound to people, but I think we're also so used to being good and right and feeling like we're on it's just a it's I think it's a capacity building process to recognize that we are sometimes wrong and that's not going to annihilate us because it's not the same as what was going on before when we were kids or whatever stories we have. What well, also sounds like it didn't annihilate the therapeutic relationship either. Could you speak to maybe how this shifted your work with the client? Did it shift your work? I assume it did. Where did, where did your work go with this client from here? Mm, I, I mean, I would say it began the work. Mm, yeah, I love that. I'd say the work started. Mm-hmm. For the real work started. I'd say that it ultimately this rupture and proper repair, this process of repair led to many different moments where this person was able to then recognize their stuck ability to express themselves, to be honest with their negative feelings, to feel their negative feelings, to take up space in the world and not be the one always being good, which is where this all came from, you know, this chronic good that they were stuck in, needing to always be good for so many reasons, X, Y, Z, long story, long story, family dynamics and all of that. And so it it turned into a two-year relationship of a lot of that break, those breakthroughs. And it was interesting because, again, they were very impressive. They were very successful. So there was a lot of reorienting in the sessions about how much this shows up for them in their professional life and in their personal life. So in the end, it turned into a really strong therapeutic experience with, a, you know, a beautiful proper termination and a really great process in the end. Thank goodness. Yeah, that's so special. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And it, I feel like this does come up where I've had these moments too of like, like you said, like, how did I, like, almost like, how did I miss this, right? Like, how did I not see this? But sometimes even I find myself getting caught up in like, oh, we've made so much progress, all these things. And sometimes you can overlook. And I feel like too, I see this on, um, even on like in memes, like I feel like I see them come up online where people are like, I want to be my therapist's favorite client. Like when they ask me how I am, I'm like, I'm great. Like, this is great. Right. And it's like, how do we take that pressure out or off of the client of like, this is the space where you can be not okay. You don't have to like, please me or, you know, any of these things. And it sounds like you're able to find that with this client, but did it impact your work? Like, how do you allow space for that now? It sounds like you sit back, but how do you give that space for clients to not have to be okay? 
it almost feels so natural now. I would say that the way to the way I now allow a client or support a client in not being okay. I invite it a lot, especially in the beginning. I invite the potential for therapeutic rupture. I invite the invite not and and also name that you may not be at a place where you could explore or express something to me that didn't feel good if I missed something or used a word that didn't feel right for you. So I often invite that in, explaining that there's lots of clinical value to that, talking a lot about the therapeutic space and what makes it so special is that there's an opportunity for you to, if you can recognize it and if you can, because it's also sometimes it's not something that people can let go of or just not do. It's so automatic and in their bodies. Gentle observations over time of their body. So gentle awarenesses of their posture changes, their eye contact that may indicate, you know, their breath, their behaviors that may indicate that there's an unsettled activation within them that could be coming up because they're feeling like they have to perform or they have to be doing everything perfectly. And over the, when the time is right, I may gently bring their attention to those indicators and explore, you know, I wonder what that, I wonder what's happening for you right now in a way that, you know, depending upon the client's capacity for that kind of reflection. So yeah, invitation, observation, the resonance, really feeling into my own system and now using my system as a tool, not as the only thing I can feel (laughs) in that, as in that example. Michelle, a lot of new clinicians Mm -hmm. listen to this podcast, and Mm -hmm. I kind of want to loop back to the broader concept of transitioning or being aware of or integrating the tools we learn into the process of healing. And I wonder if Mm -hmm. you could speak to what advice you'd give new clinicians who are recognizing maybe the tools aren't enough, or they're recognizing something's off here. And I I need to shift to process. What advice would you give them for people just starting to shift to the process work in therapy? That's such a great question. We're, and this is going to be deeply with through the lens of somatic experiencing and how I work now that we are mammals, we're bodies, we're humans. And if we, stay in our head with tools and process and check boxes and words and language, we and they will not be able to drop into the physiological process of co-regulating, the physiological process of safety and you know the body's ability the body's ability if they're thinking thinking and we're using these tools and we're and and you have to start that way i mean new clinicians you know you have to begin and you're going to use the tools and the tools are so important i had an opportunity to teach uh, as an adjunct professor the msw program and i had two opportunities to do that for two years and it was so wonderful when i taught 
these new these students who are going to go into the world and be social workers, how, you know, the tools are there for guiding, the tools are there for boundaries, they're there for safety. We want to keep all of that in our minds. But if we don't drop into authentic human experience, they will just stay two-dimensional. So, and to and, and the advice to new therapists is to give it time. Mm-hmm. It takes time to develop this. But most importantly, to remember that we are humans with other humans, that the presence, the authentic, positive regard, being in our own bodies, checking in with what's happening with us, and uh, is going to allow for the tools that you've learned to be a lot more easily integrated into experience, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Not tapping into the process of, of therapy or healing. Is, I just heard you're missing out on so much. You and the client are missing out on potentially so much, but that patience to get there is so mm-hmm. needed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as always, as we've been talking about, you know, consultation, 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 <laughs> consultation, and ask and peer supervision and asking questions if you're wondering about something, you know, trying to tolerate that discomfort of saying to somebody, hey, I don't know if I'm doing this right. Mm-hmm. I need help. Mm-hmm. Something happened and I don't know what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I said this to somebody at a party this weekend. Therapists have so many relationships. Like we have yep. more than the average person's number of relationships. And you're going to make mistakes with navigating all those relationships, deep, meaningful relationships. So don't be afraid to ask for help. I love that. And also don't ask, I hear a lot of clinicians ask for help when in big moments, big, scary, risky moments, this was a moment that was not risky that, you know, things Mm -hmm. were swimmingly uh, according to the surface of the water, But this was something where you had consultation, just part of your routine, part of your professional world, and that helped you with a breakthrough. This is something that this, I think, I think we underestimate the power of peer consultation in ways that we even don't see it impacting our work. And this, you were able to identify it, but I guarantee you there are other things that this, this is impacted too. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many colleagues. I mean, yeah, it's such a, it's so rich and calming to talk to colleagues who are therapists who, you know, that's that community aspect, that co-regulation aspect, who just know, they just get it. They know what it's like to spend X number of sessions or hours a day in the depths of human struggle, that the way in which another person may not understand. And so even just to connect with colleagues and people you trust it really is so helpful in your practice as a clinician and in your body to help navigate all that. Co-regulate, right? Yeah. It's the name of the game. <laughs> I love yeah. Well, on the theme of connection, Michelle, where can our mm-hmm. listeners find you if they did want to connect with you outside of the podcast? Yeah. Um, I, like I said, I created this community called Find the Shift and find the shift.com. And 
that is taking up a tremendous amount of my focus in addition to the trainings with somatic experiencing. But Find the Shift is where you can reach me, find out more about what I do. It's a great place for, again, for it's not meant to replace therapy. It's not meant to replace anyone's journey. It's meant to support them in beginning to recognize their struggles, like I said earlier, as a nervous system situation and not otherwise. So that's the best place to get in touch with me, findtheshift.com. Well, Michelle, we will link that all below. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story with us. Thank you. And thank you guys for doing this. I think it's a really powerful and important podcast. And that's it. The OG Bad Therapists, Allie and Catherine, are signing off for this week. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. We love the Bad Therapist community so much and want to continue normalizing real therapist experience. You can help us by leaving a five-star review or sharing this episode with a friend or colleague. Are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show? Go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story. Our podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song, along with many others, on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at air for effect. And if you've experienced an actual bad therapist, contact your state health department or head over to stopbadtherapy.com for more information. And if you've liked this episode, we've got plenty more. Yeah. Over 50 therapist stories ready for you to binge. If you can't wait for our newest episode next Monday. <laughs>